This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The best bits of today's show. It is a Wednesday, the 3rd of January. All three of us back together in the studio. Tom, Brandy and myself. Right, what have we got for you? Going to kick off with some breaking economic news. While we were on air, we got the Saudi PMI purchasing managers index data. Brandy Scott was crunching the numbers. Then we were talking about a Dubai-based startup that's planning to list in the United States to raise 37 million US dollars. It makes robots. It's called Micropolis. The boss is Fareed Al-Jawari. He was in conversation with us earlier on today. What else can I tell you about startups in 2024? Last year was a tough year for raising money for startups globally and here in the UAE. More of the same in 2024. Going to get the thoughts of the chief executive of the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Centre, Najla Al-Midfa, joined us live from the Northern Emirates. And finally... Electric Vehicle Wars, BYD of China, has overtaken Tesla as the world's biggest maker of electric vehicles. But here in the UAE, take-up of EVs remains sluggish. Just 4% of cars sold last year were electric vehicles, whatever the brand. Craig Stevens, the CEO of Doobie Cars, has the details. First up, though, let's jump straight into that top Saudi-breaking economic story. Third of January and already Brandy Scott, lots of economic data to digest. We'll get onto the Sharjah budget in a few moments' time. First of all, though, within the past hour, breaking news out of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, we've got the PMI numbers that Riyadh Bank put out every month. It's come in at the same level as the month before for December, 57.5, which shows that the non-oil private sector um, continues to grow and to grow at a good pace. And in fact, sales orders and export orders um, have seen quite a big acceleration. I'm interested in the jobs because we're all interested in the in nosy neighbour, right? Um, we all know people who have, have moved to Saudi. There's a lot of speculation about what people are getting paid. And the PMI gives us a little bit of an insight into that. So the rate of employment is still growing. Uh, the rate of growth has eased a little bit, but we have to put that in context because October was a nine-year record uh, for the pace of that employment growth. If I scroll down to where we are, here we are, uh, the wages that people are getting paid of the private sector in Saudi, they rose at what is being described as the sharpest rate in the last nine, well, an accelerated rate and increase is one of the sharpest in the last nine years. Uh, businesses anecdotally are reporting that the reason they're raising wages, or two of them, number one is the higher cost of living, and number two is what they need to do to retain experienced staff. And we've spoken to recruiters before about the churn, haven't we? Um, it's all very well attracting people in, but you need to keep them. Um, not just stop them from uh, deciding that, you know, right, this, this isn't necessarily for me, but also stop them from being poached by other projects. We were talking last week with one former Dubai resident who's now based in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. He's Jasper Hope. He was the CEO of Dubai Opera at its launch for many years. He's now doing something similar in Riyadh. They've got a new opera house opening in about three or four years' time, and he's overseeing that. So it's a well-trodden path, isn't it? As is the consultant, project manager, whatever it may be, based in the UAE on the shuttle to Saudi Arabia, back and forth on a daily or weekly basis. But Tom, that could be about to change because you've been looking at the deadline that Saudi Arabia has set for regional companies to have their regional HQ 
in Saudi. Yeah, that came into effect this week, uh, Monday of this week, 1st of January 2024, uh, was the date that was uh, given uh, by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for foreign companies to set up regional headquarters in the kingdom. Um, Why? Uh, Well, the regulation uh, which required firms to set up a local base in the kingdom uh, was if they wanted to uh, be considered for government contracts or tenders as well. Uh, If they were not set up by that time uh, with a local base, then uh, they would not be considered for that. That's what we've been told uh, by the, uh, the the by the Saudis uh, in the recent uh, in the build up to this one, there are a few elements to this. Companies with foreign operations not exceeding a million Saudi rials, which is what two hundred and sixty odd thousand dollars, can operate in the kingdom without local headquarters. But then again, would companies uh, with that sort of uh, financial um, backing, etc., be contending for government contracts and tenders? Remains to be seen. Um, headquarters regulation uh, coming into effect uh, is it hoped to add yet further impetus to the uh, economy over in Saudi Arabia um, and Saudi Arabia that to their part also aiming to increase their FDI as part of the ongoing vision 2030 as well so uh, this is an initiative by the Ministry of Investment but also the Royal Commission for Riyadh City as well aiming to attract multinational companies by offering benefits aplenty, premium support services. Um, There's also been mention of that 30-year tax break as well uh, for companies that relocate. Uh, But it is one that we are watching with interest because obviously those uh, organisations that have headquarters here in Dubai across the UAE will be looking at just uh, how stringently these rules are going to be impacted and uh, Policed as well. From the Saudi economy to the Sharjah economy, we've had the budget out over the past 24 hours, and it's a biggie. A 16.16% increase in spending in Sharjah by the government. That is to a record high of 41 billion dirhams, and this comes from the very highest level from the ruler, His Highness Sheikh Dr. Sultan bin Mohammed Al Qasimi, and the Crown Prince Sheikh Sultan bin Mohammed bin Sultan Al Qasimi. They say the top three sectors are number one, infrastructure. Number two, economic developer. And number three, social development in Sharjah. Staying with Sharjah, we've been speaking to Najla Al-Midfa, who, among other things, is the CEO of the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Centre about startups in Sharjah in 2024. Last year was a tricky year for startups globally and in the UAE, particularly when it comes to fundraising. She says 2024 will be probably little different because interest rates remain high. We'll hear more from Najla Al-Midfa a little bit later. On in the show. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. A UAE robotics firm, Micropolis, looking at one of our big stories this morning, has plans to go public. It's filed for an IPO and a listing on the New York Stock Exchange. We are very pleased this morning to be joined by the CEO and founder, Fareed Al Jawahi. Good morning, Fareed. It's lovely to speak to you. Hi, good morning. Happy to be here. <laughs> Uh, do you want to talk to us um, very quickly about your decision? Let's start with a quick elevator pitch for Micropolis. You're making autonomous mobile robots. How are they being used? Yeah, uh, so uh, we build uh, uh, autonomous mobile robots uh, designed specifically for large operations. What we do actually, we augment and automate operations, such like Dubai Police or uh, uh, 
uh, or Dubai South. Uh, we we build them from scratch, of course. Uh, our uh, our main intention actually to uh, uh, to help large operation uh, just reduce cost uh, using AI and robotics. Uh, we're trying our best here. Uh, we built the te technology completely from scratch. We didn't uh, use any external resources actually or. Uh, uh, it took it took it as a as a uh, giant uh, challenge uh, just to uh, to uh, to prove that we can build something in UAE. You are, as you say, building them in the uh, in the UAE. Why are you looking to list then in the US? It's not easy actually to to list locally. It's much better, I think, to list in the uh, United States. It's uh, I, I I think uh, I I uh, I think we we. Um, uh, it, it wasn't an easy decision at, at the beginning. We have a good consultant from the United States. Uh, that's why. Can you tell me more about that decision, though, what you weighed up and why you finally made it? Uh, initially, it is funding, of course. We are looking to expand the, beyond the uh, GCC uh, region. Uh, we want to act like an international company. Um, I think this is the, um, the main reason why we were going to the uh, United States. What will you do for brand recognition there, though? I mean, your 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 big clients here. You mentioned um, Dubai Police are local. Yes. How will you catch the attention in the US? You know, robotic industry is is booming worldwide. Um, uh, I think uh, I think it is not really uh, a big challenge uh, because our our product actually is international. We um, have to say this, but. Uh, this is a local brand, but uh, but it is uh, it is um, it is high quality uh, to the level where we build the complete product from scratch to the core. I mean, to, to the core, we build the uh, complete um, uh, electronic control units. We build the smart power distribution units uh, built on Cortex M7, which is very very advanced technology. I think it is not hard because our product actually can compete on in the international uh, platform. It's not uh, difficult at all. We don't see it as a big challenge. Even in Dubai, everything is possible. Where do you want to take this product then? Who do you want to buy it internationally? Who are you pitching towards? Well, if, uh, mainly uh, our focus actually law enforce, uh, enforcement agencies. We uh, we have some clients who express their, express their intention to buy our product. We receive a lot of communication from the United States itself, uh, from Europe as well. Uh, everywhere, uh, from GCC, specifically Saudi Arabia. I'm talking beyond UAE. UAE, uh, I mean, uh, UAE will be our biggest clients, of course, because this product made first for UAE. But um, but we can see that, uh, I mean, there is a lot of uh, intentions from the United States, which means we are doing very well. We, we For example, uh, we, uh, we, we received a delegation from MIT, Two months ago, and we confirmed this is this is a high quality product made in UAE, which is uh, that makes us a little bit, uh, you know, uh, proud about what we did so far. So, what will the money you're looking to raise, more than thirty million dollars, allow you to do? Well, first of all, we want to build our uh, manufacturing uh, facility here in uh, in UAE. Uh, we, we have a, a pretty good uh, prototyping facility, but, uh, you know, a technology that's advanced to this level, you need still a lot, uh, uh, a lot of talent acquisition. I mean, a new machinery, um, I mean, uh, uh, very advanced labs. Uh, 
there's a lot of things. Can you find the talent you need here? Uh, yes, actually, Dubai is easy to attract talent. Uh, it, maybe it's hard somewhere else, but specifically Dubai, everybody wants to be here, so uh, it's, not, it's not hard. Plus, it is very easy to develop talent locally, and this is the good thing about Dubai. Oh, we've got just over a minute left with you. Talk to us about these patrol robots that you've been working on for Dubai Police. What will they do and when will they be launched? Well, uh, 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 they are an autonomous mo- mobile ro- uh, robots. It means they can survey uh, uh, gated con- communities. They can be on uh, they can be on open roads 24/7. Uh, they are equipped with uh, sir, uh, PTZ uh, uh, cameras. They have uh, drone launchers. Uh, they are also equipped with a very advanced software called Microspot. We we developed it with Dubai Police. Uh, because the Dubai Police is actually a strategic partner in this uh, project, they co-developed it with us. Uh, so it is, it's made with, uh, from uh, Dubai uh, Police uh, point of view. So, uh, you know, where, where I take people, we, uh, it is much better when the customer gets involved to develop uh, the product with you. It means it's going to uh, work. So uh, testing and validation will be done uh, with Dubai Police. So um, uh, we believe in this product so far. At 20 seconds, when would we see them on the streets of Dubai? What's the time frame? Uh, uh, so far, we have a pilot project scheduled on April uh, 2024. Uh, six months later, we, will, we, we are planning to put it in the street with Dubai police, of course, after their permission. And thank you very much for your time this morning. Farid Al-Jawahri is the CEO and founder of Micropolis, the firm looking to go public. They've filed for an IPO for the NYSE. We appreciate your time. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is the 3rd of January this morning. We continue our series all this week of looking ahead to what the future holds for certain sectors across the UAE, staring into our crystal ball. And today we look at entrepreneurship. Delighted to be joined live on the line from Sharjah by the Chief Executive of Shira, the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Centre, Her Excellency Najla Al-Midfa. Najla, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard, and Happy New Year to you and the team. Well, Happy New Year to you as well. But is it going to be a happy new year for startups? We know that (laughs) 2023 globally, I wouldn't say it was a tough year, but there were challenges particularly around fundraising globally and here in the UAE for startups. What was the story of 2023 and what's going to be the story of 2024? I, I don't think 2024 will be particularly different to 2023 in that I expect that while we don't expect further interest rate hikes, we expect that the interest rate will remain high for the foreseeable future. And so uh, with that, obviously, it does become challenging for AVCs to raise uh, funding uh, for investors but B, for VCs who do have capital or, as they call it, dry powder, they're a lot more prudent about the startups they choose to select or choose to invest in. And so I think it will be a challenging fundraising environment for startups. But that said, uh, hopefully this will encourage startups to build more sustainable business models, which is what we have always encouraged at Chirac from day one, to manage their cash flow prudently and to grow uh, in a way that actually allows them to uh, to keep their expenses within control. 
Well, there have been a number of those startups looking at the numbers for Shira. And it's not just uh, yes. Sharjah-based companies. It's uh, UAE and further afield companies as well. 157 companies so far. They've raised more than half a billion dirhams in startup capital and created more than a thousand jobs. Looking on your website, one of those companies is Joy Gifts, e-commerce company. And actually, we spoke to Rami uh, Kahale just a couple of days ago, just over New Year mm-hmm. and Christmas, about their business. And he was saying, yeah, it's been tough raising funds. And there's a big focus among, as you say, venture capitalists on seeing, if not profitability, then a path to profitability. Let's just remind ourselves what Rami had to say. So we're a startup and we rely on on external funding uh, from VCs and, and, uh, you know, uh, strategics, etc. Now, we envisioned that we would be launching our Series B funding. This is, you know, we've, we've done a Series A back in Q4 of 2021. But what we decided is to put that on pause and focus on shorter term fundraising, like convertible through convertible notes, uh, while we focus on turning the business profitable. So that's been a strategic initiative of ours. And, you know, our burn rate has been slashed by more than 60%. And we expect uh, to turn profitable in Q1. What advice are you giving the startups in Shira this year? Uh, I would say it's uh, very much aligned with what uh, Rami is saying. And I, and I, I really do reiterate this isn't advice that we've been uh, you know, saying just this year, but since the start of Shira, which is uh, focus on your unit economics from day one, constantly have an eye on your path to profitability, build a robust business model that allows for sustainable growth. And in fact, if you look at a lot of our startups, they aren't even VC-backable startups. They're the kinds of startups that are sustainable, they are profitable, they are creating jobs and contributing positively uh, to the economy. But most VCs would not invest in them because they don't have the hockey stick growth that that VCs look for. But these are high-impact startups that we continue to support. So for us, the ability to raise VC funding isn't the only filter that we have. And so while we do have 176 startups that have actually gone through our programs and raised over $250 million in investment, there are many other startups or a big proportion of those startups that actually haven't raised VC funding and are continuing to succeed. Well, give us an example of one or two of those. Sure. So uh, one of them, for example, that I can mention that's actually based here in uh, Sharjah is Kima. Uh, which produces or manufactures uh, tablets, uh, effervescent-like tablets, uh, that's effectively a surface cleaner. And so you buy the plastic bottle once, or you buy the bottle once, you fill it with water, you put the tablet in, and that's your surface cleaner. So it eliminates uh, single-use plastics or reduces single-use plastics. They've not raised any VC investment. They have uh, been somewhat incubated by uh, a company here in Sharjah, National Paints, but have not had to go down the VC route. Uh, The same with a company called Palmade, which takes the waste of palm trees and converts it into biodegradable utensils. Again, a great high-impact company that has managed to continue to grow sustainably, and we've been helping them acquire customers, which in my view is the best way to grow by actually growing your revenue, uh, rather than focusing on constantly fundraising. Well, a couple of final questions. You've been around several years now. You said late last year that Shira was at an inflection point. Almost 200 companies been through your doors. But there's yes. so many incubator-type operations here in the UAE competing for, for the best startups. In five, round the corner from us in Media City is one. That's Abu right. Dhabi, Abu Dhabi Global Market has one. There are, there are lots of them. How do you compete for the best startups? 
it's uh, it's a challenge. And at the end of the day, I think uh, a lot of our startups tend to actually be shared uh, between the various incubators because I think each incubator offers something unique. But here in Sharjah, I would say our unique selling point is one, uh, the access that we're able to provide. Like I said, we're very keen on helping our startups get access to customers, not just access to investors. And so that's one one part that actually attracts a lot of the startups. Currently, we don't take equity in the startups we support. And so that makes it attractive for a lot of startups. Number three, given our access to the university city and our hubs at the American University of Sharjah and the University of Sharjah, the access to talent makes it exciting for a lot of startups. And then finally, I think the community that we have built here at Shara and in particular as part of the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Festival makes it uh, an exciting community to be part of as well. Well, you've got the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Festival coming up in, I think it's about three or four weeks time, isn't it? Looking That's at some right. of your headline speakers, as well as people from startups. You've also got some titans of industry, Mohamed Alabar from MR Properties That's there. Right. You've got the team from Arada Properties in Sharjah as well. Why does the world need an entrepreneurship festival? I think the region needs an entrepreneurship festival. When we uh, started the entrepreneurship festival, one of the things we used to focus on is bringing a lot of global speakers to Sharjah and to the UAE to share their experiences. Uh, But what we've realized over time is actually that this region is now brimming with local heroes and we want to provide them with a platform to share their stories. And so, yes, in addition to some of the names that we've talked about, like Stephen Bartlett or uh, Chris Barton, who's the co-founder of Shazam, I would say well over 90 percent Uh, of our speakers come from the wider region or the global south. And so, we, yes, we have His Excellency Mohammed Al-Abbar, who is coming back again to join us at the festival for the second time. We have His Royal Highness Prince Faisal bin Bender, the chairman of the Saudi Esports Federation, who will be with us this year. Final thought? And final thought, we we think this will be the most exciting festival to date, so we hope you'll join us there, sharjahef.com for tickets. Najat Al-Midfa is the CEO of the Sharjah Entrepreneurship Centre. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. And it is the aforementioned electric car wars to which we turn our attention right now. We got in the studio Craig Stevens, Chief Executive Officer of Doobie Cars. Morning, Craig. Good morning. How are we doing? S- surprised that BYD has overtaken Tesla? No. Why? Uh, well, I think we saw it on the on the wall. I think when uh, twelve months ago, when BYD started to get real traction in China. I mean, don't forget, China is the largest car market of the world. Uh, they are heavily pushing EVs and incentivizing EVs. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, BYD have done incredibly well. You know, they've grown substantially in the Chinese market. What about here in the UAE? Last year, we had BYD signing a deal with Alpha Tame, mm. probably the biggest distributor here in the UAE of cars. We know them for Toyota, Lexus, Volvo and many, many others. So they are selling their cars officially here. I looked on your website a couple of days ago. There were 35 BYD electric vehicles available starting from... About 70,000 dirhams, I think the cheapest one was. That's a a, a used car up to 200,000 dirhams plus. What's the market like for these BYD cars here? 
Well, I mean, we've been talking about EVs for quite some time now, and the stat I'm going to give you now is the same stat I've been giving you for the last three years, that you know, of, of overall demand that we're seeing, still only 4% demand is coming for electric vehicles, and that just hasn't changed, albeit of a, of a bigger market. The market has grown over the last three years, but 4% is still EVs. There's a different dynamic now that we're seeing with the introduction of BYD plus other Chinese EV manufacturers that are coming to the market. If we look at what Alpha Tame are doing with BYD, they've brought two uh, cars into this this marketplace, and they've only just done that. Uh, and they're they're slightly cheaper than the Teslas by about fifty, sixty thousand for an equivalent kind of product. So it is a cheaper product. Um, the other cars you're seeing are being brought in by official uh, importers that are bringing those cars in directly from China, and they are at a much lower price point. So when I see uh, a BYD car for 70, 80, 90,000 dirhams on your website, but the cheapest one you can buy through Alpha Tame is, I think, 140,000 dirhams. 149, yeah. It's, it's a different yeah. model. It's a different model. That's right. They haven't started officially importing those BYDs into the UE as yet. I assume they are going to do that. But I think that's when it becomes a bit of a game changer for the EV market. I think when you're starting to see cars come in at 80, 90, 100,000, suddenly that becomes very affordable. Uh, and I think that's what needs to happen in the EV market to get real traction, is these cars need to be affordable. So if we look at Tesla versus BYD through your site, Craig, who's winning? What have you seen? Well, BYD are winning. Um, Tesla uh, data has stayed absolutely flat this year. Demand for Teslas on our site has not changed all year. If I look at When B- you say year, you mean 23? Sorry, yes, I forgot we're in a new year now. Yes, if I look back over the whole of 23, uh, demand really has been been flat and uh, BYD's albeit from a smaller base BYD's uh, demand has doubled uh, from from January to December I think what the interesting thing is going to be is that the people that bought Teslas and I hope Georgina's not listening but the people that bought Teslas you know a couple of years ago uh, are now starting to sell those cars and finding that actually you know the price of those cars for used Teslas is incredibly low there doesn't seem to be a market for used Teslas at the moment people are buying new Teslas therefore that's going to have an impact on new car prices if you can't get rid of your previous Tesla at a good price. Could you put a ratio on it? If the demand, I mean, because we're talking about the demand for BYDs versus Teslas, but what about the actual numbers of sales? Yeah, so te- Tesla is three times the volume of uh, BYD demand. For you? For, for us, yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably what we're going to see across the whole market because BYD has only just officially c- come into this market in the last 12 months. So I think it's, it's hard to compare like for like because of that. I mean, Tesla has been in the market for years. BYD officially has only been in for the last 12 months. Um, but I think, you know, going back to the price point, I think that's going to be the key thing here, I think, because BYD is coming in with a better price point. I think that's going to be far more attractive for consumers to consider. We're talking about this as if it's a two-horse race at the moment, and that's the headline on the Financial Times. They use the phrase, BYD has knocked Elon Musk off his perch. Fine, they are the two biggest at the moment globally in terms of volumes. They're both about half a million a quarter for pure-play electric vehicles. But it's not a two-horse race, is it? You've got certainly you know, the big established brands, the likes of your, your Volkswagens, uh, are producing electric vehicles as well. And then out of China, another of relative, a number of relatively new brands that are not household names uh, are pumping out electric vehicles. So how would you characterise the broader EV market here in the UAE at the moment? Well, I mean, in the, in the UAE, realistically, 
uh, it's not a two-horse race because we've got Tesla and then we can see we've got the German manufacturers producing good quality EVs, but they're all premium cars. I think the, the challenge is the volume uh, cars. Uh, so what do we see in China? We see at the moment there are 50 EV manufacturers uh, and most of them now are running out of funding. So we're going to see huge mergers going on, I think, in China in the next five or six years. The predictions are that they'll go from 50 to 10 manufacturers in the next five years. So we're going to see consolidation in the Chinese market. I think with the traditional uh, manufacturers, I think they're just finding how difficult it is to make that transition from combustion engine to EV engine and how much effort, skill, focus is required. And I think they're, they're, they're struggling, right? Because that is a big, that's a big uh, disruption to their marketplace. So I think the analysts are right. It is a two-horse race at the moment uh, because uh, Tesla and BYD have got such a massive head start on everyone else. What's the sweet spot on your website for an electric vehicle? in terms of price point? Well, I think our, our market is different to, to most of the markets. So look, at the moment, our sweet, our sweet spot is the higher price point for the Teslas or the EV Porsches or EV Audis. That's what we're seeing traction on at the moment. I think what we need to see is a price point around 100,000 dirhams for a new EV to come in to make it attractive for consumers. And that's the gap that's missing at the moment. I think that's the gap the BYD are going to fill. What's the cheapest electric vehicle I could buy on Shakeside Road, a new vehicle this morning. Alpha Tame will sell me a BYD for 143,000 dirhams. I know MG, another Chinese manufacturer, have had a relatively affordable one. What, where do we start? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, through the official distributors, you're looking at around 110, 120,000 dirhams uh, through one of the official channels. If you're going to go through a, an importer who's brought one in direct from China, as you've seen on our site on DB Cars, you know, you're going to see that for 70,000, 80,000 dirhams. There are challenges when you buy those cars because your warranty may not be, um, you know, uh, dear to by the manufacturer if you're buying through those export channels. But yeah, I mean, you, you are starting to see those price points come in. What we need to see is those official channels now bringing in those cars at those price points. Finally, petrol prices fell again this month. I filled up my midsize SUV yesterday, just over 200 dirhams, and it was on empty. The economics in terms of fuel bills aren't really in favour of EVs at the moment, are they? They're not. And I think that's why, you know, in December we saw another softening of EV demand. I think with petrol prices coming down, it's just not a driver to make people make that switch. And I think that's why the, the price of the car has got to come down dramatically to make it interesting for the consumer to make that switch. Craig Stevens of DB Cars, always good talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for weighing in on the electric car wars between BYD of China and Elon Musk's Tesla. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.